Have you ever been asked, are you a Mary or a Martha? And uh, that is, are you one of those contemplative types or are you one of those active types? And then depending on how you answer and who's asking the question and what they're looking for, you either feel really good about yourself or really bad. <laughs> I want to say this morning, this gospel passage we just heard in Luke chapter 10, it is not a personality test. <laughs> this story is not about Jesus criticizing those active types and praising the contemplatives amongst us. This is a story about hospitality. It's a story about how to receive someone, how to welcome someone, especially when they're the Lord, that someone is the Lord, but also really for any guest we may have and welcome into our space. In chapter eight of Making Room by Christine Pohl, the corresponding chapter to this sermon, if you've been reading that book, she talks about the challenge of making hospitable spaces and places. How we need to resist that temptation to just merely entertain people in this. Impressing people with our perfect house, which means our house is never ready. And instead, how to promote spaces and places that are just generous, inviting, a place where, again, strangers can just become guests and guests can become friends eventually. This passage we just heard shows how to promote such places with what we can call the first hospitality. So last week we heard from the Gospel of Mark when Jesus was asked, what's the first commandment? That is, what's the most important commandment? And how he responded with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all that you are. What would we say is the first, most important act of hospitality? Let's find out as we look at this passage in more detail, which again is Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. So Jesus and the disciples, they're on the move again, and they enter a certain unnamed village. That means it could be any village. It could be your neighborhood. And here's a woman named Martha, and she receives, welcomes Jesus and his disciples into her home. And this is, um, this is what hospitality is. Receiving, welcoming someone into your space, whatever that is, your workspace, your study space, your home space, your personal space, whatever place you happen to be, you welcome, invite someone into that, receive them. That's hospitality. So much of the, the greater context of this passage is on hospitality. So we, we're in chapter 10. Chapter 9, though, Jesus, he sends out the 12 with instructions about how to preach the gospel and how to receive the welcome, the hospitality they were going to get in those villages. 
Then Jesus, with the disciples, he feeds 5,000 people with some miraculous hospitality. Then in chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 this time with further instructions about how to share the gospel and how to receive the welcome they will or they won't receive. Then we have the two greatest commandments we've been looking at, followed by the the Good Samaritan, the most memorable, powerful illustration of, of hospitality, or one of the most, and then our story. Really, the Gospel of Luke is, that's one of the dominant themes of the Gospel of Luke, is this mutual hospitality and how you should do this. So Martha, she welcomes Jesus and the the disciples who are with him into her home. And this is a good thing. This is again in line with everything that's been going on in the previous chapters. This is what she should have done. But the, the question becomes, in what manner should she have done this? What kind of atmosphere should she have been promoting in this space, in her home. We're told that Martha has a sister, Mary. But Mary isn't in the kitchen, where the women are supposed to be at this time. In some circles, that's still (laughs) the understanding. She's in the room with the men, where only the men were supposed to be at this time. There was an invisible boundary she had crossed and entered. More than that, she's sitting, it says, at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Luke, writes that to sit at the feet of a teacher was, again, a decidedly male role. So this room, sitting at his feet, this is what men did, not what women did. When in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul says he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, It was meaning, it was saying that Paul was a student of this rabbi. Again, that's what the men did. That's not what women did at this time. N.T. Ray goes on to even say, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi. That is a teacher yourself. He goes on, there's no thought here of learning for learning's sake. Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. This is a big move for Mary. This was a a Rosa Parks kind of move. She didn't get arrested, but she did get corrected indirectly by her own sister, Martha, who was busy, overwhelmed with serving the, the practicalities the real practicalities of receiving, welcoming, feeding someone. And not just anyone, but the Lord himself. <laughs> I probably would have been freaking out too. Um, so we've got to be easy on Martha. But anyone who, who's given themselves to hospitality knows how easy it is to get distracted and anxious about what you think is needed to welcome someone. And how crazy enough, how you can actually then get distracted from what it was all about in the beginning. Just simply welcoming, receiving someone, making room for someone in your space. And how that that first act, the first act of hospitality is simply listening to someone. 
whether that's the Lord himself or one of his messengers or one of his image bearers. And really, how, how are you going to know how to serve somebody before you've actually paid attention to them and listened to them and asked them actually what they need? How are you going to know how to serve them without first doing that? Well, when you're like Martha, you're just overwhelmed, I think. And there's just no time in that state for listening, for asking questions. It says Martha went up to Jesus with this boldness, maybe greater than her sister, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Hope you notice all the, the me's and the my's in that request. I think, strange enough, hospitality be can become a very self-centered Thing full of self-pity. It's easy to do if you really give yourself to it. You can become impatient. You can become corrective. Because her question here is more of a, a correction than a real question, right? She doesn't wait for Jesus to give the answer. She jumps into telling him what to do because there's no time to listen. She jumps in, it's really quite ironic. She starts with saying, Lord, she knows who he is, but in the next sentence, she's telling the Lord what to do. You, tell my sister to get into the kitchen and help me. But how does Jesus respond? He starts with, Martha, Martha. There are only a few times in the scriptures where Yahweh and Yahweh in the flesh ever uses someone's name twice like that in the Bible. Only a handful of times. One of the times was with Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, God says, before he's about to sacrifice his son. He calls out Moses, Moses from the burning bush. Jesus calls out Saul, Saul right before his conversion. And there's a few more of these, a handful of these. Uh, that play a very significant role in the biblical story and certainly in the lives of these people. Martha is the only woman in the Bible who gets the honor of this double calling by Yahweh in the flesh. The only woman who joins the ranks of Abraham, Moses, and Paul in this way. Yeah, if we read John, it says... He loved Martha and his sister, her sister and Lazarus. That's the only time it names someone specifically like that. Martha is someone special in Jesus' eyes. This is a significant moment we're supposed to see her in the biblical story when he says this to Martha. It's certainly significant for her, but it's also significant for all of us who, with Martha, share her anxiety and distraction. So when we hear Martha, Martha, we can hear our own name in there too. Jesus calling us out of that hectic busyness, distraction to the one thing needful. And even to the better part of that one thing that Mary is both offering and receiving and enjoying. So, what is this one thing? 
Jesus doesn't say explicitly. This is what the commentators note. But the context would say the one thing is actually to receive, to welcome, to receive someone in hospitality. That's the one thing. And this is where Martha began, but she got distracted from, especially from the most important part of that welcome. So Jesus said Mary had chosen the better part or the better portion. So that means it wasn't everything. What Mary was doing wasn't everything. It was just the better part. And it doesn't mean the other part was bad. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, certainly he is challenging the current male-female roles going on at this time. He doesn't tell Mary that she's in the wrong seat. He, in turn, receives her. He affirms her and validates her and every woman who sits with Mary. He's also revealing through Mary and Martha how we should receive someone, especially when it's the Lord, but really anyone who comes into our home. True hospitality requires both our hands and our ears. I came across this this imagery from the late French poet philosopher Jean-Louis Chrétien, who I love his writings. And I found this, though, in his excellent essay called Mary or Martha and Mary, where he describes these two dimensions of hospitality as those of our hands and our ears, of our industrious hands, devoted to all they must do, tidy, arrange, prepare a table or a meal, anticipate the needs of others and of our straining ears. And for those of us who listen with our eyes, we can replace ears here with eyes. In another one of his works, Kretchen calls this straining listening of the ear the first hospitality. This is one of my favorite quotes from him. It's a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing. He says, the first hospitality is nothing other than listening. It is the hospitality that we can grant to others with our body and our soul, even out on the streets and on the roadside, when we would not be able to offer a roof or warmth or food. And it is at any instant that this hospitality can be granted, that this world is hungry for, I'll tell you that. Of all other forms of hospitality, it is the precondition For bitter is the bread that is eaten without speech having been exchanged. Heavy and burdensome is the insomnia of the beds in which we sleep without our weariness having been welcomed and respected. I could just stop there. We need hands that first listen. That's really what he's saying. We need ears also that eventually act. So Kretchen again, to receive is first to listen, but inversely, a listener would like us, who would like us to speak for hours on end without bothering to ask if we're hungry or thirsty or tired or simply want to be quiet. 
would no longer be attentive or hospitable. So we do need ears that eventually respond and act. And we need hands, of course, that first listen. Jesus does not reprimand Martha's hands of hospitality in this story. He was all about feeding the hungry, whether it was a a crowd for 5,000 or a few of his friends on the beach after the resurrection. He came, he said, not to be served, but to serve with hands that he kept healing people with whenever he preached. So he's not reprimanding Martha's hands of hospitality. He reprimands her way, which was no longer hospitable. So when when someone becomes so busy and upset and flustered about welcoming you and caring for you, you're no longer a special guest. You've just become simply a burden. And you can feel it. It's like they're not even there. And one of the sure signs that this is happening is that there is no time to listen. A question might be asked, but there's no time for the response. And you can tell people who are doing this, they they already have your answer for you (laughs) by their actions, by their own words. And when we find ourselves with Martha, because we all find ourselves there with her, we need to hear the Lord again calling us out of that distraction and hecticness and busyness back to the one thing needful and even to the better part of that one thing that Mary, again, is both offering and receiving that will never be taken from her. Become one with her, one who listens. We need to make a distinction here, though. Listening to our neighbor, we listen differently to our neighbor than we listen to the Lord. So, for example, when we listen to the Lord, we're listening to his teaching, ready to trust and obey, for his leading in a moment, ready to follow, wherever that is. When we listen to people, we listen to their stories. We're listening to the different ways in which they are hungry and thirsty and tired. That takes real listening to figure that out. These are different, and and yet they're connected. When we listen to the Lord's teaching and leading, he shows us how to listen to people's stories, how to hear for what they're hungry and thirsty and tired for. He shows us how to respond with word and in action, and how to do it all as unto him. So no wonder our reading from James says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's so easy to reverse that. It's so easy. That's just what happens unless we're intentional, whether that's in prayer or that's in conversation. To be quick to speak and slow to listen. Too often, we give an answer before we've listened, which, according to our Proverbs reading as well, is a shameful Thing, a foolish thing. It's like 
pronouncing a scientific conclusion without an experiment, proposing a business proposal without having done the research, doing a medical procedure without ever doing an assessment. It's like saying Jesus is the answer, but you've never listened to what the question was going on. In every area of life, especially in our interpersonal life with the Lord and with each other, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, shows further how listening to God and to, to neighbor are connected. He writes this. This is, again, a longer quote, but really worth listening to. The first service one owes to others in a community involves listening to them. Just as our love for God begins with listening to his word, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The beginning of love for others is learning to listen to them. God's love for us is shown by the fact that God not only gives God's word, but also lends us God's ear. He hears our cries. We do God's work for, other, for our brothers and sisters when we learn to listen to them. So often Christians, especially preachers, think that their only service is always to have to offer something when they are together with other people. They forget that listening can be a greater service. Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. I think that's true. Now, certainly the emphasis in our gospel story is on listening to the Lord and to his teaching. In the previous chapter, chapter 9, at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration, it says, a cloud came over them and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. In chapter 11, Jesus said, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here, i.e. Jesus. And in the middle of these two passages is, in chapter 10 is Mary listening to Jesus at the feet of Jesus. This should be one of our first acts of hospitality with anyone, but especially the Lord, listening to his words, ready to trust and obey. That's how we welcome Jesus into our home. And if we really listen to those words, that should lead us to acting in love towards others. Because of course he said, love one another like I have loved you. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. And it's because Christians actually listened to the Lord first that we have this example throughout history of Christians doing this, this Christian distinction of Christians reaching out to those who were the most vulnerable, the least valued in their time. And if we don't make this a priority of listening to Jesus, hospitality, again, will just turn into a hectic thing, an entertaining thing, a self-serving thing. 
And that stranger guest friend movement gets reversed, where then our friends and our guests just become burdens and turn into strangers again. But when we stop and listen to the Lord, we offer him the the welcome he deserves and we learn from him how to welcome others. And then we also are receiving his hospitality as we do that. When Jesus says Mary has chosen the good part, the better part, the literal is actually good or better portion. It's a food word. So you can think of this story is actually the first maybe Christian potluck. (laughs) Mary's in the kitchen, she's preparing the appetizers, but Jesus is offering the main course in the living room, his words. And this is what we do in neighborhood groups, right? We eat together, we have the appetizer, and then we move on into the living room and get into the main dish of the words of Jesus. Greater than the welcome we give Jesus in listening to him is the word he gives us in that listening. Words, we are told, that will never be taken from us, that last forever. This is a different kind of meal. Words that we need more than bread or water. Words that Jesus says are life and spirit that we live by that teach us how to live in the fullest sense of the word. They are indeed the better portion. So going back to our original question, how do we promote hospitable spaces and places for the Lord and for one another in truly life-giving ways for ourselves and for one another? We become like Mary. We become one who listens. Let's pray. Father, may that be so. Give us ears to hear you and our neighbor. In your name, amen.